Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are bringing you the best minds in functional medicine, and I assure you today is no exception. New Frontiers is able to offer these deeper drill-down conversations with content geared toward the professional audience because we are proudly sponsored by two companies that I use in my practice every day, Metagenics and Biotics Research Corporation. A little bit about Metagenics. Their mission is to lead the movement in making personalized nutritional intervention the standard of care in the treatment and prevention of disease and the promotion of optimal health. For over 30 years, Metagenics has been dedicated to scientific discovery, innovative products, unparalleled quality, education, and practitioner partnerships to support lifestyle functional nutrition. For more information, visit them at metagenics.com. New Frontiers is also proud to be sponsored by Biotics Research Corporation. The foundation of Biotics Research Corporation is innovative ideas, carefully researched concepts and product development, utilizing advanced analytical and manufacturing techniques to develop and produce gluten-free nutritional products of superior quality and effectiveness. The advantages of Biotics Research Vegetable Culture Base include biologically active, whole food, consistent disintegration for proper assimilation, suitability for strict vegetarians, and improved product stability. Biotics research emulsified nutrients represent a more cost-effective means of delivering nutrients than mycelized, dry, or oily preparations and are safely and more completely absorbed. Biotics research provides the best of science and nature. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine. Today, I'm really excited to have a um, fellow IFM certified practitioner with me today to talk about all things gut. Uh, his name is Dr. Vincent Pedre. Uh, you're likely familiar with his book, Happy Gut. Uh, Dr. Pedre is the medical director of Pedre Integrative Health and founder of Pedre Wellness. Uh, he's a medical advisor to two health tech startups, including Embody360, which actually is a great app that we're using in my practice, um, and Fullscript. He's in private practice in New York City uh, and has been so since 2004. He's a clinical instructor in medicine at Mount Sinai School of Medicine. He's also certified in yoga and medical acupuncture. Uh, Dr. Pedre believes the gut is the gateway towards excellent health, and for this reason, he wrote the book, Happy Gut, the Cleansing Program to Help You Lose Weight, Gain Energy, and Eliminate Pain, which helps people resolve their gut-related health issues. Dr. Pedre, welcome to New Frontiers. So great to be here. I will also add, for, for any doctor that has gut patients, uh, my book is a great way to educate them about the types of things that you would talk to them about. Uh, yeah, that are related. I, I actually I would concur with you, and I think you really do a nice. Uh, you know, you you ex it's it's an in depth book. You cover a great deal of complexity, but you language it in a really accessible way. I appreciate that. And as I was reading it, um, you know, it made it, it, it it's written obviously from the perspective of being a physician and you've got lots of really great patient stories in there that I think people will find inspiring and just really illustrative but you also have your own story and so this book is coming from that place as well so talk to me about your own you know your own digestive health challenges and the years of suffering you went through growing up yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's really interesting because I, I look back at it and, and I thank it uh, for for what it did for me because yeah, um, it's brought me to this place where I help hundreds of people with their gut issues. Uh, but when I was a child, to me, it was my normal. I didn't know that something was wrong. I just thought that I had a digestive system that functioned different from other people, and I no one would have known that I was. Uh, becoming gluten sensitive or that dairy was an issue for me. Uh, but those were the top foods in my diet as a child. Uh, lots of bread, pizza, ice cream, milkshake. I mean, I used to get a milkshake after school every day. Right. My, my mom would drive me. And I mean, I hate to say it now, but uh, <laughs> she would drive me to Burger King because I loved their vanilla milkshake. And at some point, I just started getting sick really often and I had this really weak immune system ended up on antibiotics and then it was year after year after year antibiotics once twice a year pneumonia bronchitis pharyngitis 
And all of that wiped out my gut microbiome. We know now from uh, studies looking at how long it takes the, the gut microbiome to recover from a course of Cipro, for example, it takes yeah. 12, 12 months. It's so profound. Or, yeah. or Augmentin, six months, or a Z-Pack. You know, we think, oh, I'll just give you a Z-Pack. It's just five days. Not, not such a big deal. It takes about three months to recover mm. for your gut microbiome to recover. And, and it causes a dysbiosis, which then can increase the leakiness of the gut. And yeah. we can talk about that as, as we talk about things. Uh, the, uh, you know, something that Western medicine did not believe in and naturopathic medicine was talking about leaky gut syndrome for uh, decades. Yeah. Uh, but now the science finally caught up and we know that gut permeability is controlled by a protein called zonulin. And there are certain things that can stimulate zonulin secretion that will increase the permeability of the gut, like gliadin, uh, the protein in gluten. And that is across the board for anyone. So it could be a celiac patient, a, a non-celiac gluten sensitive, or even a normal patient. Now, they're all affected to different degrees. So the celiac is the most sensitive, uh, the most affected by gluten. But even what was shocking about this study is that even a normal patient uh, was found to have some degree of effect in a change in gut permeability. Yeah. So through this journey, um, I finally, when I went to medical school, I accidentally took dairy out of my diet because it just wasn't convenient for me to sit down and have milk with cereal in the morning because I always had to just rush out the door. And I noticed that I wasn't getting sick as often. I used to be the type that if I was around someone coughing, I'd, I'd pick up, I would pick up everything. Wow. And I, I just really paid attention to that, you know, that fact because no one had ever told me that. And I thought, wow, maybe there's something here because that's the only thing that I changed. I was eating a little healthier. I was incorporating avocados, healthy fats, olive oil, mm -hmm. and I had mostly cut out dairy except maybe occasional ice cream here or there and i wasn't getting sick as often so that was like the beginning of my curiosity into what does diet what role does diet play in our health even though we got very little nutrition training in medical school so i had to do a lot of reading on my own and just self experimentation well thank god you were observant that's really cool i mean i don't know that if I hadn't the background that I would have connected those dots, geez, I'm not, what am I, what has changed? <laughs> That's pretty cool. And so obviously it kind of catapulted you on your journey. And that, that catapulted me on my journey and, and also kind of like a strength that I bring into my, my care patients because a lot of times, you know, they say the devil is in the details. Uh, I think what we do in functional medicine, aside from, uh, you know, really taking a thorough history is that we really listen to our patients. Yeah. We're spending more time with patients. And to me, it's always, I'm listening for that small detail that is the differentiating factor. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that in a Western medicine style, 10 to 15 minute encounter where you're just rushing in and out the door and the first thing on your mind within the first five minutes of the conversation, you're thinking, is there a medication I can prescribe this patient so that I can get through this visit? It's such a different way of, of thinking through medical problems. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah, it's like we, we can exhale. We have time to pay attention. Our journey impacts how we treat. And so now you are you know, really bringing this rich background both as a medical physician but also your history as you know to your focus on GI so what what are you seeing in your practice well I do see I, I mean it might be a little skewed too because I since I am a, a gut expert mm -hmm. um, it does bring me a lot of gut related uh, yeah. patients so they really do seek me out and I see a lot of what falls under IBS, irritable, irritable bowel syndrome, you know, which to me is not really a diagnosis. Uh, but within that, I see a lot of bloating, a lot of either diarrhea, constipation, um, alternating uh, between the two or, or constipation predominance or diarrhea predominance. Um, but I also see a lot of people just come in and say, I don't feel well. Right. You know, very vague symptoms. 
sometimes not gut related. So occasionally, and that's, that's a big question. Like, does it, every patient that have a gut issue have gut symptoms? And the answer is no. Yes. So a lot of times a patient may not even complain to you about anything gut related. My, my best example, and I never forget this patient, she was an Irish woman and she came in with hives, yeah, really bad hives, like embarrassing hives because her, her, half her face would swell up and it was all, it was completely unpredictable and could happen at work. She had been to five different dermatologists in New York. Mm-hmm. One of the top dermatologists for hives at Mount Sinai, I, I don't know the name. And then she came to see me and this was in my early days of functional medicine. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking <laughs> to myself, oh my God, like <laughs> he's been right. to some of the top doctors. Yep. What am I going to do? And, you know, I had the little brief freak out moment and then I just sit there and listen. And I'm like, yeah, I had done the GI module by then. And I was really starting to incorporate a lot of the principles and I thought, you know, the privileges and, and one of the persons who really has mentored me, Dr. Leo Galland, uh, who's considered one of the fathers of functional medicine, mm-hmm. uh, he said, you know, one of the privileges we have is that if a patient's been to five other doctors, you can learn from what didn't work. Right. So you can, and I've really learned a lot by seeing what didn't work for yeah. patients. And it goes back to, again, being really detail-oriented and spending the time and really listening. But also, I thought, you know, I've always been curious about ancestral diets. And in Ireland, wheat was really not a part of their diet. And even though I didn't have a test at the time, I told her, you know, let's, let's do an experiment. Because um, nothing has worked so far. And everybody's treating this as a Band-Aid. Prednisone, prednisone creams, all sorts of topicals. All right. And I said, you know, let's take wheat out of your diet. She was eating a lot of wheat and gluten. I said, and she's like, oh, I can't do this. Like, look, I'm not telling you to do it for life. Let's just do the next three to four weeks. You're going to go gluten-free. And we're going to do all these blood tests and we're going to look at underlying issues. And I gave her all the resources and I said, you know, um, we'll follow up in a couple of weeks. I don't want you to eat gluten until um, I don't want you to do any, no gluten until we meet again. She comes in a couple of weeks later, her hives were like 75% gone mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. And I was like, wow. <laughs> this works. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh. Not only does it work, but sometimes, you know, and I think for somebody, and we'll, yeah, I know you have a question about this later, but for a newbie in functional medicine, you can go to those lectures and you hear like all these amazing interventions and very complex plans, but sometimes, it doesn't have to be that complex. And a lot of times it can't. It can't start off complex because you have the patient that's freaking out. Like, okay, you're asking me to go gluten-free. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Yes. And what if when she comes back, I'm going to tell her, you know what? The gluten is working so well. Let's add dairy to the picture. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to, you're going to go dairy-free as well. So, you know, you really have to meet the patient where they're at. But mm-hmm. this is one of my, you know, one of the remarkable transformations because her, her, and she did have the celiac genetics in mm-hmm. the end. We did check for that. Um, she did not test positive for celiac. Uh, so she's in that category, non-celiac gluten sensitive. Yes. Um, but her hives disappeared just by taking gluten out of the diet. So listen, I want to just stop you because you've just, you've just said, um, I don't know, really about 10 different pearls that I want to, I just, I I really kind of want to swing back and underscore. Let's Um, highlight them. (laughs) Yeah, because they're just, they're incredibly important. So first of all, 
um, you know, a lot of, you said a lot of our patients don't have gut issues or, you know, but gut is central. So we, we see that. And I just want to underscore that because that's absolutely true. But the flip side, and this was your story, is that you had acclimatized all these gut issues. So I think there's also patients who've got profound gut issues, but it, as you said, it's their normal. So there's this right. whole continuum. And then some people, of course, are incredibly aware of their gut issues and on the great hunt towards fixing them. But there's, so there's all of these important things, maybe absolutely asymptomatic as far as gut issues but you know it's an immune system thing as was the case in this hives patient and that's where you started so the other thing that you said that was just really jumped out actually before i get to the clinical pearls for practitioners you also pointed out that she was on prednisone um kind of ad nauseum because they didn't know what else to do and um and and first of all leo gallon is an amazing person and I absolutely agree. A lot of times we get patients who've been to many different physicians and yes, we can pour over what interventions they've already done, what labs they've done, what hasn't worked. Hugely important. So thank you for that. Um, and also too, we know that, you know, she's going to be the, 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 the damage process, even as the prednisone gives some relief and it's essential when they don't know what else to do. I mean, you can't be in total body hives and existing. So mm -hmm. prednisone was essential while that was the only tool in the kit that worked. But thank God for whatever reason, she came to your, your door. So the prednisone piece is also going to kind of further damage the process. And, you know, God knows what would have happened after a period of time if that's all she had. But she found you. And then you find, you know, and then you pull her off of, you just do this very short-term trial of, of gluten elimination. And, and that's the other huge thing that you said. New functional medicine clinicians, yeah, keeping it really simple is, can be exquisitely powerful and absolutely meeting your patients where you're at, um, where they are at, excuse me, not where you're at, where that's they're really, at. <laughs> that's one of the really big pearls, I think, is that um, uh, I think when, when we're learning functional medicine, uh, I think for instructive purposes, they're, they're teaching you a case in its ideal with we did this yes. and this and this and this and this. Yep. But when you go out and you start practicing in reality, you start finding that you, know, you can't tell a patient that's never done any of that to go out and do 10 different things all at once. Yes. So that's why the, this style of medicine is really, it's, it's, it's more like you're taking the patient by the hand and together you're walking a journey and you know what the destination needs to be, but you have to help them get there. Yes. Well, and you know, the fact is some patients jump in and they will, they're full steam with anything, but yeah. then, but some patients are not. And, and just as you said, we need to, we really need to allow ourselves to be open to where we need to meet them. Otherwise we're not going to see them again. You know, if we layer on some, you know, unattainable complexity so just another really one, fabulous one really important question i i ask patients you know when i start building a plan for them is do you think you can do this mm -hmm. you know just kind of like yeah. a check-in like hey i just gave you this and sometimes they'll say you know what i can do one and two but i can't do three and i'm like okay then then you kind of that's where you negotiate Yes. You know, like, because you want the person to be successful. And we're also educating people about what, you know, if a patient comes in with asthma and has no gut issues or has allergies and has no gut issues, then to teach them that this is in fact related to the gut in many ways. And if we start there, we can start to fix some of the other issues. Um, you know, that, that takes a while for people to understand that. And even for practitioners to, to get, I always thought yes. it was logical, especially things in the airway, because if you look at embryology, the same tissue that turns inward to um, become the digestive system is also what becomes the airway. Mm -hmm. So embryologically, they are related. They form from the same type of cells. Yep. And it, it's just interesting that in, for thousands of years in Chinese medicine, the gut and the, and the lungs were interrelated. Uh, so the same energy, the qi pathways affect both, uh, both things. If you want to improve the lung health, you're using pathways that deal with the spleen, the stomach. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. 
that is interesting. Gosh, that would be another, a whole nother cool podcast, <laughs> another conversation. Um, so one other thing I just wanted to say for new clinicians uh, transitioning into functional medicine that you said, just to underscore it, is that um, I think we're also really blown away, you know, and when we first start practicing, even now, it's just like, oh, you know, when you really, really walk with somebody and, and, and they get it and they're healthy. I mean, just seeing the power of this medicine. So your patient comes back after two weeks and her hives are all but resolved. I mean, that is, you know, it's as amazing and, and gratifying for us, I think, almost perhaps as it is for the patient. So new, pe new people coming in, you, you know, just hang in there with it. If it, if it doesn't seem possible, you will, you will absolutely experience these things. Yeah. So uh, circling, just circling back to the gut, um, you know, you're seeing a lot of SIBO. Mm -hmm. You're seeing a lot of CIFO. And I just, I want you to talk about, well, first of all, talk about, talk about how you're approaching SIBO, you know, define CIFO. I mean, let's just, let's just have a, a conversation around um, those two conditions, which uh, I'm sure you're, you're seeing plenty of. Yeah, there seems to be, or it feels like there's an epidemic of it. Uh, but, but, but again, I, I get a lot of gut patients, so my, my perspective may be skewed. Um, but, and it may also be that we have better testing now, mm -hmm. uh, better uh, or more awareness around it that it does exist, whereas before uh, we kind of piled it under IBS. Like right. Somebody has, uh, because SIBO also can masquerade as different things. And I'll give you, so SIBO for the people who don't know is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. What that means is small intestine is not completely sterile, but it has a very low count of bacteria. So it's about 10 to the third, 10 to the fourth mm -hmm. per ml. Whereas when you go into the large intestine, you're at 10 to the 12th, 13th, so a big change in magnitude. So our biggest reservoir is in the large intestine. But SIBO is basically either an overabundance of the regular bacteria that live in the small bowel, they've overpopulated, mm -hmm. or it's migration of bacteria from the large intestine into the small bowel. And we're not just talking about bacteria because we also get into an issue with archaea, which yep. to me, I think of it as an ancient form of bacteria. It's single, single cellular organism, but uh, very fastidious and doesn't uh, respond easily to the same antimicrobials as a regular SIBO with a hydrogen. So you can have, I guess I should define, there's yeah, two, define. two types of SIBO. There's uh, hydrogen predominant and there's methane predominant. And I will add, there's a third type, which is the combo, hydrogen and methane. And that's the toughest one. So when I see hydrogen predominant, I am quite happy yeah, uh, because I know this one is easier to treat. It's but, is it the dominant form that you're seeing hydrogen producers? Hydrogen I seem Eba? to see I I seem to see a mix, but okay. I do see a lot. I think more hydrogen than methane, but I do also get a good amount of methane producers. And the methane again, it comes from archaea, and the one of the distinguishing factors of the methane uh, producing type is that methane stuns the migra migrating motor complex, that nerve complex along the small bowel that, um, that triggers peristalsis. So a very uh, big characteristic of the methane predominant is constipation. Mm -hmm. And I've heard Dr. Pimental, who's a gut motility specialist lecture, and say that he even suspects that the methane may still be an issue, even if it's uh, a low detectable on the breath test that he still suspects that it may be a factor in people with constipation. I don't know that you can say that every woman that comes in and is constipated is, you know, has methane predominant SIBO, but you have to suspect it in someone who's constipated and also really gassy or gets gassy after they eat. And this is again, listening to the details in the story. If you, if someone eats, and they immediately feel like their stomach swells up and it's very high up in the GI system. Mm -hmm. And it happens within 30 minutes of eating, like the first 30 minutes. That could, be, um, that could be acid insufficiency. So they're not making enough stomach acid, especially with a protein meal or someone who tells you 
that I don't eat red meat because when I eat it, it sits like a brick in my stomach. That's a sign that they're not making enough stomach acid. Now, SIBO could come close to that, but usually it's about 15, 30 minutes after you finish eating, then you start to feel bloated and it peaks into an hour as the food is starting to move into the small bowel. But again, it depends on where the SIBO is. When we do a breath test, uh, the, the thought behind it is you're checking a breath sample every 15, 20 minutes. And the longer you go in, it takes about 120 minutes to reach the ilium, the, the end of the small bowel. Um, but you have to take into account if someone suffers from constipation, it may take 150 minutes to get there. So you always have to consider that. But it kind of gives you an idea of where the SIBO is. Mm -hmm. I'm never surprised. I mean, if you take a thorough history, you kind of know <laughs> what the test is going to look like. What you don't always know is whether there's methane and hydrogen together. Right, right. Listen, and, I just wanted to thank you for that nice discussion on you know, paying attention and really being able to track, you know, clinically what you're likely to see. Yeah, go ahead. And the other thing I wanted to say is that I know we all talk about SIBO, but we really should be thinking of it as SIMO. <laughs> so <laughs> small intestinal microbial overgrowth. Because mm. I think the problem is that SIBO then is getting us into the mindset of Western medicine, like, oh, we've got the diagnosis and we do the treatment. And then you can miss something if you approach it that way. Or your treatment can end up causing another problem. And I've seen that where patients go to a GI doctor and they get treated with Zyfaxin for a hydrogen predominant SIBO. Yeah. And three to four weeks after the treatment, their symptoms start to come back. And the question at that point is, do they have a recurrence of their SIBO or are they now developing SIFO? Have they developed yeah. dysbiosis because of the Zyfaxin? Zyfaxin being kind of really interesting antibiotic uh, because the, the brand Zyfaxin does not enter circulation. You know, it stays in the gut. And I heard one of the leading experts on Zyfaxin did a lot of the research. He's from Italy. And Interestingly, Zyfaxin acts not just as an antibiotic, but also as a probiotic. So it makes me feel a little less guilty if I write Zyfaxin for a patient. That's pretty uh, fascinating. Do you because, know? Yeah. Because it, they don't know completely why, but it promotes the growth of bifido in the large intestine. Does it really? And it, and it stays in, so usually a treatment is 15 days, but it actually lingers and stays in the, the, the gut for another two weeks. So it, its effects are four weeks long. Wow. So it's having the antimicrobial effect, and then it's having a probiotic effect in the large intestine. It's pretty interesting. Now that said, you know, I, was, I kind of hinted at it. So when mm -hmm. you're thinking of someone, you see someone who comes in with bloating, and I, I didn't mention, so I've had patients with uh, SIBO, hydrogen predominant SIBO that didn't present with so much bloating as diarrhea. So if you see a patient come in with unexplained sudden onset of chronic diarrhea that just won't go away, you have to think of SIBO and you should be breath testing them. And it's usually accompanied with malabsorption. So maybe they're not absorbing iron and they start to feel really fatigued. So I had another patient very similar for years. She had loose stools, severe fatigue, and iron deficiency. And you see a woman with iron deficiency, and she was a menstruating woman, and you think, well, this is just normal for mm -hmm. menstruating women, but the ferritin was really low. It was maybe like nine. Mm -hmm. So you have to think, you know, is it just that? You know, and I think that when you're not asking yourself that question, what else could it be? That's when you miss things. If you just go for, oh, this is just normal menstruating women, let me put her on, on iron. She's not going to get better because you have to fix the, the, what's sequestering her iron is the bacterial overgrowth. Right. So after seven years of fatigue, and this is another one of those remarkable stories, we treated her SIBO and she came back at the end of the treatment and said she felt like she was her old self from seven years ago in just a couple of weeks. 
after being, again, to doctor after doctor after doctor, trying to figure out what was going on with her. And so, but I was hinting at it that you really have to think of it as SIBO because when you're treating SIBO as a, 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 a bacterial infection, you have to wonder, is there a fungal overgrowth in the background? Yes. And if you don't think that, you're going to miss it. And to me, the way I think of, of SIBO treatment and why so many people fail it uh, with the Western approach is, okay, you have SIBO, let me treat you with Zyfaxan. If you have methane predominant, maybe I'll give you a combination of Zyfaxan with neomycin because mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> we found that the methane predominant doesn't respond to Zyfaxan, so you have to treat with a combo of, of Zyfaxan and sin. The problem and why I've started stay from neomycin is I'm concerned about autotoxicity with neomycin. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I, I get really nervous about that. It is successful, but it's not completely successful. So the way I look at it is, is like the, the first part of the treatment may be an intense part with a prescription antimicrobial, but for you to have a successful SIBO or SIPO treatment or combination thereof, you have to have the tail of the treatment. And then the tail of the treatment, which may go on for two to three months afterwards, I'm giving, giving them an herbal antimicrobial. Mm-hmm. So I may, be using, I may be using an herbal combination. Uh, I may use a very high-grade garlic extract, an allicin. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one that I get. Um, that comes from the UK that's really a highly concentrated and they have a pro version that's mm-hmm. uh, like much higher strength than their regular version. You can say brands. I'm just, okay, so, yeah. so like uh, one example is Biocidin. So yep. that's one brand. Uh, the other one that, I, that I've, been, um, I've been working on seeing what protocol works best is I had another patient with refractory SIBO and I treated her with Zyfaxan. She got a little bit better. And, and this is the interesting thing with these patients is that even after explaining to them that this is a two to three month process, um, you know, they come back after the first two or three weeks and they're like, well, I don't feel any different. I'm like, well, we're not there yet. <laughs> we right. got to keep going here. It's like you're just getting the low hanging fruit and then you really have to get in there. So I use a, I use a biofilm buster uh called interphase uh-huh. um, and i like to use interphase plus and that i put into the tail of the treatment with the allison and this was particularly successful for this refractory case but even at the two-month mark she was still herself not recognizing all the benefits but she was st- she noticed that she was feeling less bloated so i knew we were on the right track and i had her on a very strict SIBO specific diet. So it's like the low FODMAP diet. I I go through, a lot of times I refer patients to SIBOinfo.com, which is Dr. Siba Becker's website or Cy Becker's. Mm -hmm. And and, um, she has a really great SIBO specific diet with a a spectrum of, you know, which foods are the worst and which foods are not as bad, but still maybe bad. Because you really, there's not one diet for every SIBO patient. One one patient may get super bloated with avocado and another patient might be fine with avocado. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think she's doing, I mean, it's probably evolved, but a FODMAP with a layered specific carbohydrate diet on it as mm-hmm. her, as her foundational, but yeah. you're, you're exactly right. Yep. I mean, it's, it, it is an individual process. That's um, what can make it really tough and, mm-hmm. and difficult is that, that, as the practitioner, you, you have to engage the patient to really listen to their body and the wisdom of their body uh, because you can't just prescribe that one diet. You have to say, okay, this is, this is, these are the guidelines, but I want you to really pay attention and see if there's still some foods in these guidelines that maybe don't work for you. Well, listen, let me ask you a couple of questions around that. Um, so Pimentel, you know, some people are all about having folks consume the problem foods so mm-hmm. the bugs are not sort of in a um, kind of hidden or dormant place during the right. active treatment. Mm-hmm. 
I personally, in my clinic, have found patients are not keen on doing that because the diet helps for symptom well, relief. Because pretty you're quickly. also you're feeling pretty bad. You're feeling yes. pretty bad. Yeah. So tell me what you do. I mean, are you? It sounds like you're concurrently implementing a diet. I'm concurrently implementing the diet because if you don't get people well quickly, they're not going to come back to you. Yeah. You know, so you, you work on diet, but an interesting thing I started doing, and I, I must have heard this in a lecture, is adding slippery elm bark because inevitably these patients have leaky gut syndrome, right? Yeah. So, so you have to start working on that. But sometimes I find that adding L-glutamine too soon can actually um, make the bloating worse. So you don't want to, so I don't tend to use L-glutamine until a little bit later in treatment, but the, I heard this in a lecture, the slippery elm bark is gobbled up by the bacteria that are producing hydrogen, for example, and it serves as a shuttle. So it helps if you're treating them with Zyfaxan, if you're prescribing the antibiotic, the slippery elm bark targets it into those bacteria. Really? So I've used it concurrently as part of my treatment. And then I continue patients on, I, I teach them how to make a slippery elm porridge. Uh-huh. The slippery elm is, is so mucinous. It's really protective for the gut lining. So as you start to heal the leaky gut, it's a really, first, really good first step as long as the person doesn't have tree allergies. So some people have tree allergies might not do well with slippery elm. Can you, um, that's great. That's a really nice pearl. So, I mean, I know you can buy bulk slippery elm in a, mm -hmm. in a, yeah, in and a now, like now the do? brand now, um, produces an organic version. And what do, what do you have them do? Like, just give me your recipe really quick. Cause I know clinicians are going to be asking me. So, so you bake, you can basically have them take a tablespoon or two mm -hmm. and you put it in a cup of water. Um, you cook it like you would an oatmeal, you slow cook it and until it starts to thicken. Now the slippery elm bark porridge is going to taste pretty disgusting. So I have them put cinnamon in it. Um, they can put a little bit of vanilla extract if they want. And sometimes I have them take it and then add it to their protein smoothie. So now they're having their smoothie with the slippery elm porridge or they can eat the porridge separately. And you can also add a nut milk as well. So you can make it with like coconut milk or mm -hmm. almond milk uh, to get, uh, it seems that it does better actually if you don't make it with water and you make it with, or you add nut milk afterwards because okay. the creaminess of the nut milk helps take away some of the grittiness of the, the slippery elm bark powder. Perfect. Thank you for that. Let me, so we're talking about how miserable people are and, and you're, you know, I just appreciate the, your approach. Um, you're starting with, it sounds like an antimicrobial, a pharmaceutical protocol. Um, Sometimes, yeah, most of the time. I, I was in a lecture recently where they use biocidin as yep. the treatment. And it was anywhere between a two and three month treatment. Um, but sometimes I feel that, I, you know, sometimes the patient is so uncomfortable that you just have to get them to that place where they're feeling at least enough percent better that they recognize it so then they'll continue yeah working with you not everyone has the patience for the slow uh, recovery but again it, i never just treat the beginning i'm there's what i call the tail of the treatment if you don't yeah. do that it's gonna come back are you using a um biofilm buster as in the tail in all of your also books? yeah like interphase or biocidin itself is a biofilm buster but or the interphase plus now what about what about motility that's another thing you know everybody talks about um the importance of um and dr pimentel really believes that motility is a big issue uh with uh, why it develops in the first place and so there are, there's Iberogast, uh, which helps stimulate the migrating motor complex, the, the MMC. Mm -hmm. um, but you can also use ginger as yep. a promotility. I don't not, I know that people use erythromycin low dose, but I honestly don't like the idea of using an antibiotic as a promotility agent just because uh, everybody who has this has dysbiosis. So uh, you really in the recovery phase, you really have to start working on healing leaky gut 
so maybe using L-glutamine, DGL. I love bone broth. Uh-huh. So I basically am a protocol that I use as long as they can. Uh, and I've been testing this protocol on patients also with uh, hives, uh, allergic conditions is slippery elm porridge in the morning and bone broth at night. Interesting. Both working to, you know, to really heal the gut lining and maybe with the bone broth, add some collagen powder in the bone broth. So, and I know there's questions about that. So I'm not, I'm not completely sure whether the collagen powder really adds uh, added benefit in terms of healing the leaky gut. Right. Well, you know, maybe now I noticed a couple of labs are, you know, zonulin is becoming more available and I'm sure that Cyrex, be- uh, Cyrex is testing for yep. zonulin antibodies. And well, Genova and um, Diagno- DSL Diagnostic Solutions Lab both have started to offer just just started. I actually haven't even seen a result and I've ordered both of stool tests from both of them. Um, they've started to order, create, they, they created fecal zonulin, which doesn't have a lot of, isn't that interesting? So I think, I think, um, Vincent, we're just going to, you know, a lot of us clinicians are, will be start, you will be looking at a lot more zonulins. Um, I know it's fecal zonulin, which doesn't have the evidences that the serum zonulin does, but, um, you know, well, they'll be readily accessible on a lot of the stool tests we're getting. Speak, so. speak, as, we, as we're talking about stool tests, uh, the other uh, really important marker that I look at in the stool, immune marker, is calprotectin. Because mm-hmm. uh, that can really be a distinguishing marker whether the person who you're seeing has IBS, you know, under that umbrella, or if they have IBD, if they really what they have is an inflammatory bowel disease. And I've caught... Um, those borderline people, um, I have a patient that has collagenous colitis, mm. um, and I, she's a young woman, and I ended up sending her for colonoscopy because her calprotectin came up high. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, the biopsy showed she has collagenous colitis. There's also been a question about the associations between this and SIBO. Um, here's another interesting pearl I heard in, in a, a lecture that I was listening to. Uh, that there's a, the research has showed there's a hundred percent correlation between rosacea and SIBO. Mm-hmm. Wow. 100%. So if you see a patient with rosacea yeah. who's not complaining about gut issues or maybe just has kind of, you know, not a lot of times you really have to dig because people think that it's their normal. So they yes. might not report it to you because yes. they just don't think it's so significant. But if right. you see a patient with rosacea, test them for SIBO. Think about SIBO. Absolutely. Thank you. 100%. That's amazing. If you can put your hands on that study and just shoot me a reference, I'll, I'll pop it on this transcript. So I just wanted to clarify, so you've got the really nice, robust protocol. You've got the baseline that you talked about, and then, and then you have this tail, and you're doing a diet and the, concurrently. And, and the tail is really taking into account that this could be both bacterial and fungal. Yes. Okay. So in the, in yep. the tail, I'm treating both. And I'm being very careful about bringing in probiotics. So you don't want to bring a too broad spectrum probiotic too early on. A lot of times I'll start with just a a lower strength bifido probiotic. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also been experimenting with using a spore-based probiotic. So in this refractory case that I have, my tail treatment was a product by um by Claire called Biospora mm-hmm. with the Biofilm Buster Interface Plus and the Alamex. And she was an extreme recovery, a refractory case. Like she felt she had mental fog. She had both SIBO and CFO. Um, she was sick for years and it's been amazing. Now she's three months into the treatment and her family is telling her that she is her old self again after years wow. of not, it, her mind is clear. She had all, that was another thing I didn't mention, the, the gut brain issues yep. that you get. So, I mean, if you see someone with mental fog, you have to think dysbiosis and you have to think possibly candida or yeast overgrowth as, as a factor in causing this mental fog. All right. So Biospora from Clara. And then the Alimax yeah. is the allicillin. It's the, it's the, potent allicillin product that you're talking about mm-hmm. what about um 
are you using motility agents or are you finding that you don't necessarily need them? I know that that's what they classically teach. Yes. And again, it depends on whether the person is having full bowel movements or not. So I go with right. what the patient is telling me. Um, because again, you don't want to overload someone with too many things to take. And typically, you know, they're already, I have, there's how many supplements? That's four that I already mentioned. You know, so then you're adding. So I, I use them more with the methane predominant, the ones that I know are having uh, a major motility issue. And I, you have to be careful because if the person is already going frequently, if you add a motility agent, you might cause, you know, right. stools. So I, th I take it as a case-by-case -case basis. I don't take it as across the board as something. And again, that's, that's just an example of really, you know, it's good to understand the general treatment plan, but then you have to really individualize it to each patient. Are you using elemental diets at all? I have, ex I, I, I find, I know the elemental diet and um, I have not, use that as a prescription for a patient. <laughs> Honestly, my New York patients would look at me cross-eyed if, <laughs> if I told them. But, but Integrative Therapeutics came out with a formula. It's called Physician's Elemental Diet. Yes. And so it basically has everything you need in the elemental diet in the formula. And I've tried it out with a couple of patients. I think it's really hard to keep up and it's really hard for them to feel that they're getting enough nutrition through the elemental diet. I mean, speaking of, you can make a SIBO patient better if you put them on a, say you put them on a bone broth liquid fast for a couple of days, just kind of give their gut a rest. Mm-hmm. That in itself yes. can be really helpful. If you have a patient that's really, really miserable, you could just have them drink bone broth for two or three days. And at least you know they're getting nutrients and minerals through the bone broth. Absolutely. I think that's a great idea. Um, and what or, about you could, or you could use the, inter the physician's elemental diet formula and supplement with bone broth so the person doesn't feel. Because it really, it, it's, I don't think it's enough um, nutrition to substitute uh, real eating. It's I think hard to do it for two weeks. It's hard to, it is, it's hard to, yeah, it's definitely, it's a hard sell for, for the full, <laughs> for two plus weeks, definitely. I've used the bone broth as you're describing, and I think it's really helpful. I've also used the elemental diet, the IT elemental, very short term, and it, and it can be helpful to just, you know, give a little bit of relief, um, you know, much the same way as the bone broth. Um, yeah, and the idea behind it is that, if the SIBO or, you know, the, the overgrowth is happening at the end of the small bowel, which is about 20 feet long, and you're giving them elemental nutrients, meaning they're already in their digested form, their amino acids, everything is readily available. It's going to get absorbed in the upper part of the small intestine. So it's never going to reach where the overgrowth is to feed the, the bacteria or the archaea. I didn't mention another product since we're here, and I know you've, you have more questions. Uh, but for the methane predominant, I've been looking at this product by a gastroenterologist called the Tromteal. Mm -hmm. Yep. That has a peppermint leaf extract, uh, which to me is, is a great treatment also. I didn't mention peppermint uh, and terracotta peppermint oil or combination of peppermint, fennel, and ginger oil. There's a, a product by Protocol for Life, I think it's called GI Guard. Uh-huh. That one is really nice for if just to get help people with the symptoms, the bloating, the discomfort, the pain. Uh, but a Trontil has peppermint leaf extract, and it has an extract from the konjac tree, and another flavonoid. And the idea is that it's able to break through the cell wall of the archaea to um, kill them. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. The issue I found with it is you have to be really careful with patients because they can get a die off and they can feel really bad from it. So the recommended dose for treating is two capsules three times a day. But a lot of times I'll start patients on in depending on how I might start at one one a day and then one twice a day and then one three times a day and slowly work them up so that you mitigate the amount of die off that occurs. If you start them at two, three times a day, they're, they might give you a call <laughs> telling you they feel really miserable and they stopped it. Yes.
I've actually seen that. I will corroborate it. I've absolutely seen that. Um, in and, my and it tells you it's a really good formula. It yeah. works. Yeah. But yeah. you you have to you have to you you kind of have to work it up with people. So you know you just keep bringing up all these 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 different aspects of of treating. Um, small intestinal microbial overgrowth, and I do, I think you're right. I'm gonna I'm 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 in favor of changing it to SEMO. That makes total sense. I think um, it's better because then it's all encompassing. It's all encompassing, and yeah. it takes you out of pigeonholing it to be just one thing. Yep, yep. And yep. then you're not gonna miss the other stuff. So let me ask you this: um, You mentioned die off. Now, and in this case with the, and I, I'm, what am I saying? Entrantil, it's kind of a funky name, but anyway, it's, um, <laughs> a trantil. I, right, right, I, I right. listened to a podcast with him. Oh, like, you did? I was how, how are we going to pr- know how to pronounce He's like, it's a trantil. I'm like, how did you come up with that? Yeah. Why, why? That, it's, that it almost why sounds a little pharma. I wish why, he, why, why not call it a trantil? Like, yeah, you know, trantil. Right. I don't know. But listen, talk to me. So die off happens. Doesn't happen in everybody, but it does happen mm-hmm. in some folks. And so obviously dropping the protocol, slowing the protocol down is 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 smart and effective. Anything else you're doing for die off in SIBO patients or CML patients? Um it, the other thing is using uh a binder. Uh so you can use activated charcoal. Mm-hmm. I also like a product uh, by I think it's biopharmaceuticals. It's called GI Detox. Mm-hmm. And what is that? Um, it's like a clay. Okay. It has a little bit of activated charcoal, but um, you know what? I can look it up quickly because I. I it's, and while you're it's looking, like a pyruvite or something. So it's basically a complex uh, binder. So it's going to help with. Uh, it's going to help with die off because it's going to help absorb toxin that is released during the die off. Um, let's talk a little bit too in our, we've got in, in a handful of, of minutes left here, uh, laboratory testing for your gut patients. What are some of the, yeah, tests? yeah. So, I mean, I think the first thing I think that's really important to say about testing is that the most important thing is not the test. It's the conversation you have with the patient. That's where you need to start. And you can, the lab test is just there to orient you, uh, but you can't take it as the final answer. Because say you do a stool study and they're very limited in finding yeast overgrowth. So you may see it, you may not see it. You probably see it in the sicker patient. And, but if you don't, then you really have to go back to the history and, 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 pardon the pun, but listen to your gut. <laughs> like, <laughs> like your gut instinct is usually right. Because if you don't think it and then you bank everything on the test, then you may miss it. Uh, but stool studies like Genova, there's certain ones because I'm in New York State, I can't use. Right, uh, that's Sometimes right. I find ways around uh, working with practitioners out of state um, and I'll send patients there. But um, the GI effects is a really interesting study. It gives a, a lot of useful information. Um, there's the GI, the CDSA, the comprehensive digestive analysis, um, a little less useful, but because I can do it in New York State, sometimes I do do it, because uh, mm-hmm. it still gives me the calprotectin and eosinophilic protein X and butyrate, which is so important, so, so important. I think we don't we don't understand yes, yes, yes. how how important yes. this this short chain fatty acid produced by our colon bacteria, our butyrate producing bacteria, how yes. key it is to I mean it's it's an it helps with insulin sensitivity, it helps regulate blood sugar, um, so it 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 prevents metabolic syndrome, it keeps the colon healthy, and it also is um it also has epigenetic effects in the brain. So it triggers, <laughs> it triggers right. the release of neurotrophic growth, uh, um, uh, uh, nerve growth factor. And so it helps with memory and learning. It's pretty, pretty wild. Yep, that's right. It actually, I know there's some really interesting work, work around um, breast cancer specifically 
um, mm. and, and intervention with a butyrate. Um, it's actually, it's a butyrate with um, an amino acid residue on it. Actually, it was in drug development. I should look it up and see where it is. But the butyrate was able to augment sort of an, an estrogen expression at the genetic level. So, I know, you're absolutely right. It's fascinating. You're right. It's okay, like, I, found, I found it. It's pyrophyllite clean. Okay. Or pyrophyllite. Clean. And the name of the product is, again? It's GI Detox by Biobotanical Research. That's the company that also produces the, the biocidin. And they oh, have, okay, sure. Mm -hmm. They yeah. also have they have two types of biocidin. Um, for the gut, you want to use the regular biocidin. Then they have the biocidin. Uh, it's called LPS or oh, the liposome LS, biocidin. LS, LSF, and that's more for internal infections. So. Listen, let me just ask you, you've given a lot of pearls today. Clearly, you're a real in the trenches. I hope people are taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the whole transcript is there. It's all, and, and I'll harvest some of these pearls and, and, and pop them up at the top of the transcript. Also, your contact information will be there. What website do you want to direct people to? They can go to happygutlife.com. Okay. All right. And I have you guys good recipes there. I have a... I have a, uh, a slippery elm bark porridge recipe. I have oh, a bone okay. broth uh, recipe. I have a, for people who are vegetarian, I have a veg vegetable broth recipe. Um, that's great. Okay, so we'll have your website. You actually gave me a couple of them. I'll put them all up there. And your um, clinic information. I've referred a number of New York State, New York people who've, who've requested city referrals have sent them over your way um yeah, my, and my clinic um website is pedramd.com okay all right great now so we're talking to a lot of clinicians who are transitioning into functional medicine listen to this podcast actually students do um as well and and in fact somebody told me recently that this is a popular podcast at best year university so i just want to give a shout out to oh awesome i know i know it's well, really great uh, they're doing such good work. There. They are. I know. So give me some advice for practitioners who are starting out in the field of functional medicine. I mean, you already did at the beginning, but anything else, any other pearls, any words of wisdoms from your own experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I can speak from, I, I started on this road back in 2006 uh, when I attended my first annual conference uh, for the Institute for Functional Medicine and I, I can tell you, up to until then, I felt like I was a, a fish out of water. I, uh, I was here in New York, and I didn't really know other people. I had an idea of what I wanted to do. And when I got there, I felt like I was home, like I felt my tribe. Like it, it just felt, I, I felt like I was finally in the right place after so many years of yeah. feeling like I was the oddball. But one thing that I, that I really would advise, and I know I got stuck in the beginning, and I call it like, the, don't get stuck like a deer caught in the headlights. Because mm. when you first go, you hear all of these protocols and all of these supplements, and it starts to get really confusing. Like, where are you going to start? And that's my second pearl. So don't, don't get stuck in the, on the sideline. But where do you start? Start small. Mm. You don't have to do a fancy protocol. Mm -hmm. Start just decide, like, you know, I'm really, for me, it was, I was really fascinated with the gut. And I just decided, you know what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with the gut. And I'm just going to start working with patients with the gut. And that's how I ended up where I'm at now, because I wasn't even trying to be a gut specialist. I just thought it was fun. For the first time, I had a language that could translate what to me was always really confusing when people came in, they just all sounded the same to me. And I started working with gut patients. And at first I wasn't doing all the fancy stuff. I just started with diet interventions. Like, Hey, let's take gluten out. Let's take dairy out. Let's see how you do. Let's explore. Why don't we do a, a stool study and see what that shows me, you know, get, get your feet wet. Like don't think that you have to be the best when you first start incorporating functional medicine. You're never going to get there unless you walk the walk. And that was my third pearl is you learn by going. If you're standing still, you're not going to learn. You just have to start walking and trying things and speak, you know, listen to uh, Dr. Fitzgerald's podcast. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, you're li li seriously, I learn a lot by listening to podcasts 
like, wow, you know, maybe I can incorporate this. And to me, it's like painting a painting. I would start with the, maybe the, the diagram in pencil, and then you start to color it in and then you go back and you keep filling in the details and you keep filling in more and more details. And that to me is what this journey has been about is constantly filling in new details. I refine, refine, refine as I go on. I never think that I have arrived and that's fine because it, it keeps it all interesting. There's always something new that you can learn. There's always new scientific literature that's coming out, uh, new and incredible information. Um, so you can't, you can't get stuck thinking that you have to be the best and do everything and develop a 10-part protocol for every functional medicine patient. Right. Because like, then you might burn out because uh, right. it, might be, it might just be too much to do. So I think one of the, one of the things, because I've seen a lot of people get stuck on the sideline and talk about like, hey, are you starting your functional medicine practice yet? No, I'm still in emergency medicine. Yeah. I've seen that happen to people for years. And I think, you know, there's a little bit of resistance in all of us to change. There's that, there's that fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. uh, but one thing that I've learned uh, recently in a mastermind group that I'm in, and I think when you're feeling fear, it's because you're expanding. You're like really, you're going beyond your comfort zone. And as long as that fear is not a fear like I'm in danger, you know, because there's that fear that you're in danger, but there's that, that other fear that you know is just you nervous about doing something new. When you're in that moment, like when you lean into it, that's when the magic happens. When you're willing to do that, that's where you grow. Well, I think that that's a really beautiful place to end. Um, that's inspiring, empowering. And um, I think it's just, I think it's really sage advice for the clinicians that are, that are coming into our field. So I, I just appreciate you today and, and, you know, getting to know you a little bit better. We've, I mean, I know our paths have crossed on many occasions, but just having this chance to talk to you and, you know, just mine some of the, some of the pearls because um, you've obviously been doing your work and paying attention. So thanks for joining me today. Such a pleasure. Thank, thank you for having me.